grace and peace to you. I'm Vicar Derek Kabilis, and this is Exile Cast for Tuesday, the 23rd of March, in the year of our Lord, 2021. It occurs to me, just as I sit here at my desk today, how grateful I am that my wife got her first shot this afternoon. And I'm supposed to get my first vaccination on Thursday. You know, we've been through so much and spent so much time in the midst of this pandemic. And it's not like we've been cowering in our house all freaked out for months and months but the stress of actually getting sick and not knowing what that might mean for us or for our loved ones has just been a kind of uh background radiation in our lives for most of the last year It's just kind of hung over everything that we've done. Every time my wife has gone to the office or to the store, every time I need to speak with someone in person at the church, we're watching our distance, we're washing our hands, looking at what we touch, all that stuff, right? Now, I'm not trying to count my chickens before they hatch. And I know we're still going to have to wear our masks for a while. We're still going to have to keep our distance. All of that doesn't magically go away. But the thought that we might get to turn down that annoying noise in the background of our lives. Well, that just feels so darn good. The thought of hugging my parents again, of hugging you guys again, of singing hymns in our sanctuary, actually putting the bread into your hand. Boy, that's just the stuff I live for. So if you've already gotten your vaccine, I want to thank you. Because you've done your part to put this whole thing behind us. But if you're one of those folks who still has doubts about the vaccine, if you aren't sure that you're going to get it, if you're thinking about maybe putting it off for a while, do me a favor and reach out to me. I'd love to talk to you. And trust me, I'm not going to argue with you, and I'm not going to dress you down or anything like that. I understand we all come from different places. We all have different ideas. I just want to have the opportunity to have a conversation. Because this vaccine, and the promise that it carries, or that it might carry, is so important to me, and to this community of faith, and you, you are so important to me, and important to this community of faith, that I just want to do everything I can to answer any questions or find the right resources, point you in the right direction to get you the information you need 
to help you make what could be one of the most important decisions that you have to make right now. And so, as we prepare our souls today, I invite you to take a minute just to breathe. To calm the thoughts of your mind, to put away the thoughts of the tasks and the deadlines and all the things that might require your attention. I can assure you that they will be right there waiting for you when this podcast is over. (laughs) But for now, bring your awareness to this moment, to this time, to the God that we worship and the spirit who moves in our hearts. Our scripture lesson comes to us from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 5, verses 5 through 10. So also, Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as he says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him having been designated by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I wish to preach to you today from the title, Standing in the Gap. Please pray with me. And now, most holy and merciful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, I'm a pretty independent guy. I've kind of always been this way. When I grew up, my sister was nine years older than me. And my brother was 13 years older than me. So, I learned how to just sort of enjoy my own company. You know, how to entertain myself. I, I developed into kind of a loner. I always hated being dependent on someone else. Waiting for someone to give me a ride, 
group projects at school, collaborative work at the office, whatever it was, I always trusted myself first and foremost to get it done. Then in 2012, I found out that I was going to lose my leg. And when you're 29 years old, and you've been serving in the church for not even three years yet. It was only two and a half years at that point. And you get a piece of news like that. It just sort of breaks your brain. And before the operation, I think my family was really concerned because I couldn't really answer all of their questions about why it had to happen or what my options were, or what it was going to be like. Because frankly, I was just working overtime to cope with the idea that it was happening at all. And finally, after one day, after talking to my family, my big sister piped up and said, well, I'm going with you to the doctor, and I'm going to ask these questions for you. And at the time, man, I hated the idea. It felt like an invasion of my privacy, you know, like she was poking into my business. But I relented and I let her come along. And she asked her questions and I just sat there, still trying to put my world back together. Then, when I actually had to have the operation itself, there was this weird problem with my pain medication. And it's a really long and complicated story. But suffice it to say that for about eight hours after I woke up, I had no pain relief at all. At that point, I was no better off than a soldier who got his leg shot off with a cannon in the Civil War. Screaming and crying and passing in and out of consciousness because of the pain the whole time. Or so I'm told, I I don't even remember most of it. I know my brother saw me, but he didn't want my parents to come in and see me like it was because he knew it would be traumatizing for them and Then I think he he got on the phone and started talking to doctors and administrators and just trying to get me some help. But that whole time, my sister stayed at my side. She heard all the screaming and the cussing. She had a front row seat to my pain and my madness. And I even remember feeling her trying to to get me to relax my my other foot my only foot at that point because i was clenching it so hard she thought i was going to break my own ankle so i lose my leg and my head is all messed up i'm depressed and anxious but the one saving grace is that for 14 glorious weeks, I got to be in the one place I really wanted to be. My own home. All by myself. 
just me and my dog and my pain. The rest of the world was moving on outside of my window, and I was perfectly content to just let it pass me by. Which is when, you guessed it, my sister showed up. She wanted to go to Zelay's Market in Merriman Valley and buy some vegetables. And I tried to explain to her that I didn't want any vegetables. All I wanted was Oreos and Percocet. As long as I had those two things, I was fine. And they didn't sell either one at Zelay's. But she insisted that I get my crutches and I go out to the car with her and leave the house for the first time in several weeks. And then once we finished our shopping, she threw me the car keys and said, congratulations, today you're learning how to drive with your left foot. See, what my sister did at that particular point in my life was stand in a gap. She bridged a kind of chasm that had opened up between me and the rest of the world. And rather than let me just sort of float away on an island of sadness in an ocean of despair, she held on both to to me and to the world at the same time and when the moment was right in her own way she did what she could to reintroduce us to one another <clears throat> in that way my sister was a priest to me now, I know that in Methodism, we don't usually use the word priest very often. Methodist clergy are usually referred to as pastors or ministers. Or if you're really incorrigible, they call you a vicar. But Methodists, particularly in the United States, have always had a problem, not just with the word, but with the idea after all, a priest is a kind of mediator, right? A priest is someone who stands between you and God, for instance. In the Old Testament faith from which we came, you, you had to have a priest to make the proper sacrifices in the temple. You would tell them about your sins and explain your life to them, and they would tell you if you had to sacrifice some grain or a pigeon or a goat or a lamb. And then they would take it from you and then they would take it into the temple and offer it on your own behalf. And you just had to sort of trust that all that was happening out behind a wall somewhere. And likewise, our Roman Catholic friends are supposed to confess their sins to a priest as if they were confessing them to god you know and then on god's behalf their priest offers them advice and counsel and even assigns penance telling them they have to make restitution or instructing them to say certain prayers and only then does the priest absolve the the confessing person on god's behalf 
And quite understandably, we American Methodists have always had a kind of a problem with that. We're an independent kind of people, are we not? We have a culture where we take a certain amount of pride in doing things on our own and in accomplishing something on our own merits, pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, to use a cliché. The idea of our relationship with God being mediated by someone else just feels kind of icky, doesn't it? Almost like going out on a date with a chaperone. I don't need someone looking over my shoulder at the relationship I'm trying to build. This is between me and God. I don't need your supervision. I don't need your permission or your judgment. This is about having a close and intimate relationship with my God. And I don't want anyone standing in the way of that. And that's a good sentiment. There's something that's just so wonderfully refreshing about wanting to take your relationship with God uh, into your own hands. Wanting to take a kind of personal responsibility for maintaining that. Relying on your own motivation and gumption and, and, and work ethic. That's really great. Except, of course, it begs the question, what do we do with Jesus? What did the letter say? So also, Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as he says also in another place, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The author of Hebrews says that Christ is the high priest. And not only that, but a, a priest according to something called the order of Melchizedek? What does that all mean? Well, <clears throat> the high priest was a very special person in the old Jewish religion, among all the old Jewish priests. The high priest was the only one who could make a sin offering for the whole nation. All the priests could kill your pigeon or your goat or set your oats on fire. The, the little sacrifices you would make for your own personal puny sins. But only the high priest of Israel could offer a single sacrifice for everyone at once. And not only that, but the high priest was the only one who could enter this really special room at the center of the temple called the Holy of Holies. For that room was understood to be the, the very throne of God on earth. And it was cut off from the rest of the temple by a curtain that was made of, of fabric that was seven inches thick. And the priest was only supposed to even go in there once a year. And before he did, his attendants would tie a rope around his waist because it was believed that if he happened to sin while he was in the Holy of Holies, God might strike him dead. 
so they needed a way to remove the body without going inside themselves. Alright, so I know that sounds kind of ridiculous and superstitious to us, right? But the point is that the the high priest represented the people to God and God to the people. The high priest was the one who stood in the gap. The chasm between God and the world, between divinity and humanity, between holiness and sinfulness. And the priest was the one who held on to both of them at the same time and made a bridge. Lest one of them float away. <clears throat> By the way, do you know what the word priest literally means? In Latin, the word for priest is pontifex. Like the title of the Pope in Rome is the Pontifex Maximus, literally the high priest of the Catholic Church. In the Latin language, the word pontifex actually means bridge builder <laughs> the one who spans the gap the one who connects opposite sides and for us in christianity that's who jesus is jesus is the one who who stands in the gap that is opened up between us and god the only one whose arms can span the impossible distance between creature and creator and, and maintain that connection. And of course, the only reason he can do that is because we believe he is both at once fully God and fully human. That by his twin natures of divinity in humanity, Jesus is the only one who can truly and simultaneously represent God to us and us to God. That the divinity and the humanity have been separated by eons of our sin and corruption, but then they are brought together again in the body of a single God-man, the one true high priest who offers no pigeons or goats, but his own self on a Roman cross as an atoning and reconciling sacrifice for the sin of the whole world. But here's the thing, though. It's not that Jesus Christ is the only priest. No, the author of Hebrews says that he's the high priest. And there would be no reason to have a high priest. There would be no reason to make that distinction if he didn't have lower priests serving underneath him. So who are those priests? Well... It's not those of us with the funny collars and the frumpy dresses. I'm sorry, but it's just not that simple. St. Peter wrote a letter to the whole church. And in 1 Peter 2.9, he, 
he says to 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 the whole church to to all the christians all over the world he says you are a chosen people a royal priesthood in the same way revelation chapter 5 when all the church is is hiding under the altar of god and they worship christ saying through your blood you have made us priests here's the thing my friends it's not so much that you have a priest it's that you are a priest you are the one that god has chosen to stand with christ in the gap between god and the world you are the one who has to hold on to god with one hand and the world with the other you are the bridge builder the the pontifex minimus if you will the one who who has the task of reaching out and forming connections and spanning chasms creating atonement and reconciliation with you wherever you go and that's how my sister was a priest to me in those dark days she did everything she could to build a bridge a bridge to me when she saw that i was floating down a dark path and in that way she participated in christ she was a little christ to me a little a little priest to me and what we're witnessing all around us right now is what i call the atomization of humanity that we are all splitting apart from one another living lives that are less and less connected less interdependent more isolated and lonely and well more like me sitting back at my house chomping on oreos and popping percocet just waiting for life to pass me by that that mentality has taken root in our culture and in our society the fundamental connections that used to give life meaning and purpose just aren't what they used to be and instead our priest of choice in today's world is the screen is it not the screen is the way we stay connected the way we interact that's one of the reasons why we gather in our parking lot instead of just throwing up a video worship service every week it's the reason we do a podcast as well because even though we're in our cars even though we're we're, we're just listening over a podcast even though we're at a distance there's still a connection to nurture here there's still a bridge that gets built from one person to another to god and just once i want one of those connections in our lives to not come through a screen and i'm not telling you that we all have to throw throw out our cell phones and our televisions i'm i'm just saying that when people are so isolated and disconnected and paranoid and aggrieved we need build bridgers again we need those who are willing to be tenacious and persistent 
and even a little bit of bit an annoying, just like my sister was, folks who are willing to hold on tight with both hands while the rest of us all keep trying to float away from each other. That Christmas, I, I bought my sister a little necklace that had the date of my amputation. And, and all it said was, thank you for staying. And what I meant by that was, thank you for not walking away when you could have. Thank you for not having something better to do. Thank you for not just simply shaking your head and moving on with your life. But thank you for standing in the gap. The question I hope you'll think about today is, who has done that in your life? How have you done that for somebody else? Who has tethered you to God, to goodness, to sanity, peace, sobriety, whatever? And to whom have you tethered yourself? In other words, what I'm asking is, how are you being called in this moment, at this time, to follow your high priest? Into what gap are you willing to follow him and join in his mission of holding this world together? These words I offer to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, we have so many gaps in our world today. Gaps between races and classes and political affiliations. Gaps between men and women and straight and gay. And the goal always seems to be about picking the right team, you know? That you want to wear the right colors, have the proper affiliation, get on the right side of things. But the more I read about this Jesus guy, the more I realize he's just not that into teams. He doesn't pick sides the way we think he does. He's just not that into being on one, one team or another. No, he spends most of his time in the gaps trying to bring people together. My prayer for you this week is that you would be willing to stand right there with him. And now may the love of God, the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you and be with you now and always. Amen.